Hey, welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and to trust Him more. To keep up with us or to get more information, visit CelebrationChurchLive.com. If you have a Bible, I want you to go to 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 5. Start reading at verse one. We'll read one verse of scripture. That will be enough to get us up and running. And we'll see what the Lord has. Second Kings chapter five, verse one starts like this. Now Naaman, this is the man we are looking at this morning, a man by the name of Naaman. Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him, the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier. Listen to this sentence. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. He's a valiant soldier, but he has leprosy. Now, if you are a Christian, a long time believer this morning, uh, this idea of leprosy um, is, does not throw you for a loop. You open the pages of scripture. Leprosy is a common sickness disease that we come across in the pages of scripture. Now, the reason it's really only common in the pages of scripture is because thanks be to God, today's modern medicine has completely eradicated leprosy, especially from the West. Okay. Weston and I, my younger brother, I got invited to preach a prominent youth conference in the nation of India a few years ago. And I was preaching in India. And while we were there, we went and visited a leper colony and we got to do ministry to people who still have this disease. These, these lepers were eager to receive the ministry of the Lord. But leprosy in our neck of the woods is not super common. Now, leprosy, let me break it down for you, is essentially this. It is a skin-eating disease that causes your body to rot while you're still alive. That's what leprosy is. It causes your body to rot while you're still alive. And thankfully, we don't have to deal with this medically here in the West. But can I tell you right now? If you could see with spiritual eyes, you'd look around and I believe, listen to me, there's no shame in this, but we have to call a spade a spade this morning. I believe there could be some lepers among us. Leprosy may not be a common medical diagnosis, but I do believe it is a common spiritual diagnosis this morning. Some of you, I hate to break it to you, but your marriage has leprosy. It's rotting though it seems to be alive. Oh, you're still technically married. No one has served papers yet, but the infrastructure is rotting. The relationship is rotting. The intimacy is rotting. Some of you, your relationship with your children has leprosy. Oh, they still live under your roof and they still call you dad, but you are not fathering them. It's sad today I see more screens raising children than parents raising children. It is unnerving to me. I don't want to know where this leads, but sadly, I think we're going to find out. Let this play out a little longer. There's an old adage I've heard that said this. Don't be surprised when you send your kids to Caesar to be educated and they come back a Roman. If Caesar is educating your children, I promise you, he is growing Romans right underneath your nose. It is time that the family unit begins to be all that God has called it to be, but it can't be as long as you tolerate leprosy. Some of you, your relationship with God has leprosy. 
Oh, face, as, as far as Facebook is concerned, you're a Christian. You can come in here. You know when to raise your hands. You know when to jump. You even know when to say amen to the preacher. But if we were to look a little deeper, though you seem to be alive, you have leprosy. Things are rotting away. The intimacy that you once had with the Lord has been long forgotten. I think there may be some of us this morning who, whether we know it or not, are lepers. Naaman has leprosy. And here's the problem. Leprosy is not just a massive threat to the people who have it, but it is a massive threat to anyone who would be around it. Leprosy is highly contagious. It is so contagious. If you look through the pages of scripture, most of the time when you find lepers, they are sent to live in what's called a leper colony. They are excommunicated. They are sent to another sector of the city in order to try to contain the contamination so that we don't have a pandemic. They are quarantined. A bunch of terms we could not have familiarized ourselves with unless the events that have taken place have taken place. They were quarantined so a pandemic wouldn't break out. And can I tell you right now, some of you, you are fooling yourself. If you think you can still hang out with your little girlfriend who her and her husband, their marriage is a leprous marriage and you think it's not going to affect your marriage. Some of you, that bestie you text every day probably needs to become a once a month coffee date. Some of you, there needs to be this healthy space where you begin to build in and it has nothing to do with shaming them, it has nothing to do with putting people down and it has everything to do with protecting the things God has entrusted to you. I'm here to tell you, your household is worth protecting. Your marriage is worth protecting. Your marriage is worth some strong, real, hard boundaries. There had to be some distance because leprosy is highly contagious. Leprosy could spread like wildfire. And here's the shocking thing. Though throughout all the pages of scripture, we find lepers, they are sent to a leper colony. All of a sudden, we darken the doorstep of 2 Kings chapter 5, and we meet this man named Naaman, and the Bible pulls no punches. It says, yo, Naaman is a leper. He's got leprosy, but it doesn't just say he's a leper. It says that at the same time he's a leper, he's also a valiant soldier. This wasn't what he did at one point before he got the disease. Naaman is somehow, though he is a leper, still being allowed to lead the army of the king of Aram. He is still in this position. And I asked myself, how in the world would a leper still be allowed to be around the militia, still be allowed to be in the platoon, still be allowed within the confines of the squadron. How is this allowed? And here's how I think Naaman did it. It's because leprosy starts small. You don't go to bed one night and wake up the next morning and find your body eaten up with leprosy. That's not how this thing works. Leprosy starts as this little blotch on your arm that at first glance could be easily ignored, overlooked by the casual passerby, or it could be easily covered up. And some of us, the reason our leprosy has gotten to the point it has gotten is because we have covered it up for so long. And when you are the commanding soldier for the army of Aram, you have a convenient cover. It's called armor. No doubt Naaman's armor acted as a cover for the fact that he was a 
leper. And many of us in here today, what at one point was simply there as a defense mechanism has come into, it's become our hiding place. And I'm here to tell you, when your armor becomes a cover for the fact that you're a leper, your armor is now a cage. Because you can't take it off now. So that's why all of a sudden it only, you, you only wore armor when armor was needed, but now you're wearing armor everywhere and no one can get near you and no one knows you and no one sees the int- intimate and intricate details of your life because if you took off the armor, they'd see you're a leper. Some of you, the people you are dying to trade places with because of how shiny their armor is, if you took a peek under it, you'd find leprosy. The people you're like, man, if I had their household budget, If my wife just talked about me that way, oh man, if I had that, oh yeah, their armor's shiny, but there's a reason they're always wearing it. There's something nefarious underneath. They may in fact be a leper. You need to be careful of who you envy. You need to be careful of who you wish you could become because you don't know what's really going on. They ain't showing you everything on Instagram. It's a highlight reel. It ain't a behind the scenes. They ain't showing you they're putting their best foot forward, their least leprous foot forward. And our armor can quickly become a cage when we're using it as a cover. But here's the issue, and this is what Naaman runs into. You tolerate leprosy long enough, it will eventually spread to the place where they don't make armor to cover it anymore. Eventually, leprosy will spread to the point where, hey, there ain't no armor to cover that. All of a sudden, something starts to peek through. Some start, you start to begin to notice a discoloration between the chain mail. All of a sudden, I see something is peeking out of there. Eventually, I'm here to tell you, it will show its head. I love you enough to just make it very plain this morning. The Bible says this, sin will find you out. And I'm not here to preach some heavy-handed message, but I am here to preach the Bible. And the most loving thing I can do is tell you the truth. If you tolerate it long enough, it will eventually show itself. And here's the sick and twisted thing, and this is what happens. The very first person we find in the Bible who notices Naaman's leprosy is a little girl living in his home. The very first person we find who spots Naaman's leprosy is a little girl in his home. Can I tell you right now, if you tolerate leprosy, the first people who will notice is the next generation. It's the people you're trying to raise up. They will grow up thinking, man, daddy was strong. He had the armor. Never knowing why daddy always had to wear armor. Never knowing the man underneath all that mail. Never knowing actually why dad did what he did. It's because there was leprosy eating his soul. And the longer we tolerate this, one generation's complacency is always the next generation's captivity. One generation's complacency will always become the next generation's captivity. And God loves your kids too much to let you stay hidden. Man, I was in here last night just praying. It's about midnight. I was walking up and down the aisles. I literally walked every aisle. I prayed over every section in this auditorium. And I said, God, would you, would you save families, God? I have a huge burden on my heart this morning for families. You know why the devil hates family so much? He doesn't have one. 
He has his demonic hordes. But the reason the devil hates your family is because he hates the fact that you have one and he doesn't. God has a family. I don't. So I am bound and determined to tear it apart. That's exactly the scheme and dream of hell is to tear apart the thing that only God has. And it's a family, family. We heard it on Friday night. If you were here, God does nothing outside of the context of family. God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God is committed to the family and he's committed to generational blessing. God wants your kids to do things you only dreamed you'd be able to do. And God, if you will allow him, he will cause your ceiling to become their floor. I am confident that the only reason I get to see the things that I am seeing is because of the shoulders I have the privilege of standing on. Of the men and women who have gone before me and paid a high price, who have said yes to the Lord when everyone else said no. The only reason I am able to see the things I see is because they laid their life down as a platform for me. And your kids need you. I felt it. I just felt provoked this morning. How dare the enemy touch your family? How dare the enemy mess with your legacy? How dare the enemy come into your home? How dare he? How dare he? How dare he? And the problem is you're cool with it. You like the additions he's made. You like the things he's introduced. And God's saying as long as you tolerate leprosy, eventually the next generation is going to notice. This little girl notices. Now let's read about this little girl. Second Kings chapter five and verse two says this. At this time, Aramene raiders had invaded the land of Israel and among their captives, their captives, among their captives was a young girl who had been given to Naaman's wife as a maid. Verse three, one day the little girl said to her mistress, I wish my master would go see the prophet in Samaria. He would heal him of his leprosy. This little girl is noticing the leprosy, but notice this about the little girl. She is now living in a land she was not born in. She is not of the same nationality as Naaman. The only reason she is now in Naaman's household is because Naaman's army pillaged her village, pillaged her city, and took her as a slave and a captive and are now forcing her to work in Naaman's house. This situation breeds and screams trauma. Like out of everybody in the whole story of 2 Kings chapter 5, I understand Naaman is going through some traumatic stuff. He's got leprosy. But I think the person who has endured the most trauma is this little girl. Being ripped away from your family and forced to be slave labor in the man's household who took you from that family. I think all of us would give her a pass if she was like, yeah, before all this happened, I like loved God. I went to church. But then, you know, that thing happened. And now like, if if God would let that happen to me, I don't know that he's worth serving. I think each of us would be like, yo girl, I get why you come to that conclusion. I've got some grace for a little girl who is still hung up on her trauma, but she's not. Notice this, she is in the environment that caused the trauma, but still proclaiming the truth. And here's what I want to tell you this morning. Don't let trauma cloud the truth. 
That's what we do. We let the traumatic things of our life cloud the truth of our God. And I'm not saying that there's not truth to your trauma. I'm saying there is a greater truth than the truth of your trauma. The Bible says this in the book of Hebrews, that the blood of Jesus speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You know the blood of Abel cried out? It cried out, avenge me! That's what it said. Cain killed me. God avenged me. That's what God says to Cain. Your blood, the blood of your brother is speaking to me. And it's saying, cry, it, cr- it cries out to me, avenge me. The blood of Abel cries out, give me vengeance. But Jesus' blood evidently speaks a better word. You know what the blood of Jesus says? It's finished. It's done. You no longer have to rehearse that chapter of your life. You no longer have to be anchored to the trauma that you went through. I don't care if they never say sorry. I am giving you pardon from this moment. You now can completely move on. The blood of Jesus speaks a better word. But some of us can't hold on to the blood of Jesus because we're still begging Cain to tell us he's sorry. I want to hear Cain tell me he's sorry for what he did to me. And the blood of Jesus says, I speak speak a better word. It's finished. Some of us, we are holding on to the traumatic things of our life. And we think we can't get healing until the people who inflicted our wounds apologize. Like, I can't move on from this until they fully admit what they did. I don't know about you. But I don't want the people who inflicted my trauma to get to decide when I can be healed. I don't want the people who inflicted the trauma to now get to decide when I can be healed. They're going to dangle that carrot in front of your face all day long. And that's why we have a high priest who is better than any, any other high priest who speaks a better word for us. And we can come boldly into his throne of grace so we might find mercy and grace in our time of need. This is straight scripture, folks. We have it better. But we're like, I need them to. Admit it. Why don't you just admit your God's bigger? Admit that. Admit that he's here. They won't, they won't admit what they did, but you can admit who he is. But we let the trauma overshadow and cloud the truth. And can I take it a step further? She is in enemy territory, but still sharing her faith. Some of us, we want brownie points for how loud we say Jesus in this room. We're like, man, at church, I was that guy. Like when the song died out, I went, Jesus! I made it on the live recording. It was crazy. Like we're like, man, I'm zealous for the things of God. Like I raised my hands, half mass, but still raised them. We want brownie points for serving God in this space. Can I tell you right now, you don't get brownie points for serving God in here. This room is dedicated to the proclamation of one name and one name alone. It's the name of Jesus. We are expected to come around one name in this space. You don't get brownie points for this. You want want to know what marks Christian maturity? How loud are you about that Jesus out there? How loud are you about that Jesus in enemy territory? How loud are you about that Jesus when it might get you a death threat? When they may say, I'm going to dock your pay. When they may say, hey, why don't you put a muzzle on it? I remember, oh my God, I remember being 17 years old on fire for the things of God working at H-E-B and I shared Jesus with somebody in the line and my manager came in and said, hey, you need to stop that. We're getting complaints. You know what it made me do? It made me get louder. I prayed harder. 
I shared more boldly and quickly, but surely I didn't have any ministry experience, nothing. But I'd met a man. Jesus had pulled me out of my miry clay and he had set my feet upon a rock and I couldn't stay quiet about it. It was like, it was like a fire in my bones. I, I didn't know what to do. I wasn't going to let the powers that be dictate who I was going to be. Amen. God's waiting for some people who will say, you know, I'm even in enemy, enemy territory. I still know who I am. You can't let where you are dictate who you are. Amen. We call that a chameleon. We call those people two-face. The Bible says this, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. You want to act sturdy out here, but shaky out there. Let the sturdiness of this room carry you as you go forth. Here's the crazy thing. She says, hey, I wish my master would go to the prophet in Samaria. He would heal him of his leprosy. You know, the craziest thing happens. Naaman listens. Like this little girl's like, hey, there's a prophet in Samaria. I think he'll heal you. And Naaman's like, I'm going to listen. Naaman takes advice from someone who seems beneath him. Can you receive from someone who seems beneath you? Sometimes God will strategically, the Bible literally says he's going to do this. God will strategically use the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. God strategically uses vessels you don't like because he doesn't want you holding on to the truth because you liked where it came from or you liked who said it. He wants you holding on to it because no matter where it came from, it's true. Can I tell you what adults know how to do? They know how to eat the meat and spit the bone. That's what adults know how to do. I know the difference between meat and bone. I can eat the meat and spit the bone. And God is saying, I'm ready for you to grow up. I'm ready for you to be able to receive from whoever I want to use. But you need to know, do I believe with all, do I believe all their doctrine? I need to go onto their statement of beliefs. I need to know, are they in any affiliation to someone that I don't necessarily like? Why don't you just eat the meat and spit the bone? It's arrogance to think you have no bones. It's arrogance to think that your theology isn't bony as well. It's arrogant to think, oh, I only eat pre-deboned meat. That's called arrogance, and God's ready to set you free, and he's using a vessel that seems beneath you to do it. He says, I'm going to listen to this girl. And all of a sudden, he listens, and he goes to his king, the king of Aram, and he says, hey, I heard there's a prophet in the nation of Israel. Would you write him a letter and see if he'll heal me? And the king goes, I'll write a letter, but I ain't sending it to the prophet. I'm going to send it to the king of Israel, because, you know, kings talk to kings. So the king sends a letter to the other king, not the person the little girl said to send a letter to, but he sends it to the guy who seems above the dude. I can't be seen talking to a prophet. Kings talk to kings, you know what I mean? So he writes a letter to the king of Israel, and this is what happens when the, the, the king gets the letter. Verse 7, as soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said this, am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? This king is spazzing. I'm like, he's having like a whole conniption fit right now. He's just like, like, just like ripping his clothes off. Like, what's with you, dude? You're losing it. He's having a literal episode right now, right in front of us. And he says, am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Who is this fellow that he sends someone, listen to it, to me? 
to me. He doesn't say, who's this fellow that thinks leprosy can be healed? He doesn't say that. He says, who is this fellow who sends someone to me to be healed of his leprosy? Listen to me this morning. You are crushing the people who are valuable in your life by placing a weight on their shoulders only God was meant to carry. The prophet should have gotten this letter, but they sent it to the king. Only God can carry the weight of your cage. Only God can carry the weight of your life. Some of you, you are crushing your spouse because you refuse to get into a place of prayer. Your life's just too busy. So now you put the weight of your entire well-being on your spouse and they are cracking underneath it. You wonder why your marriage is falling apart. You have looked to your spouse to be your savior. You are demanding things from them. Fill the most inward desires of me. And we all have this Jerry Maguire syndrome of you're supposed to complete me. Can I tell you right now, if another person completes you, you will be completely dysfunctional. Completely. Entirely. Dysfunctional. They are supposed to assist you and compliment you. They cannot complete you but we are putting a weight on their shoulders only God was meant to bear. But because we keep avoiding the place of prayer, because we keep avoiding our Bible, we've got dirty lives and dusty Bibles, and I think there's a correlation. We keep putting the weight of ourselves on people who weren't meant to carry it, and they're cracking just like the king of Israel. And here's what I love. All of a sudden, the king of Israel is ripping his clothes, and Elisha, the prophet, gets wind of it. He's like, yo, the king tore his what? He tore his sacred robe. He said, what, am I God? Can I kill him? And then all of a sudden, Elisha, who you have to understand, came after Elijah, double portion upon this boy. Crazy stuff. Go read 2 Kings chapter 2, if memory serves me right. All of a sudden, Elisha steps up and he says this. I don't have the verse, but let me quote it to you. He says this, hey, king, you write them back and you tell them, send Naaman. They'll see there is a prophet. In the nation of Israel. You know what we call this in theology? This is theologically called Old Testament gangster. That's the theological term for it. Go to Bible school. I'm giving you a free education right now. Old Testament gangster. He said, yo, bring Naaman over here. He'll see my man. He will see there is a prophet in the nation of Israel. And the king does exactly what he says to do. And here's what I believe. I believe God is tapping some Elishas on the shoulder. I believe some Elishas are standing up in this generation. Because here's the thing about Elisha. He wasn't invited into this moment. He inserted himself into this moment. He said, oh, there's trouble? That means I'm called. You know what you are called to? You know why God gave you his spirit? Trouble! You know what you're anointed for? Trouble! That's why we have an anointing, is to combat troubled situations, troubled families, troubled minds. That's the only reason God has given us his spirit. That's why we have the power of God, is so we can combat trouble. But at the first sign of trouble, we want to sit down. God is waiting for some Elishas to stand up. This kingdom doesn't get invited. It gets imposed. We need some militants to come back to how we share the gospel. We're waiting. Oh, I just want the temperature of San Angelo to be right and for everybody to invite me to tell them about Jesus. This kingdom doesn't get invited. It gets imposed. 
the kingdom of God suffered violence and the violent take it by force is what Jesus says. From the days of John the Baptist until now, I think it's time that we get some holy, righteous violence back in how we take ground for the kingdom of God because we're waiting for the mayor and everyone else to get good and ready to hear our message when they never will. You know why? They're too in love with their sin. And I'm not saying the literal mayor of St. Angela, but you understand I'm using it as a metaphor for the powers that be. We're waiting for the powers to be to get good and ready to depart with their sin, hear our message, then we shall stand up when we know we have a friendly audience. When we know we are beyond the grip of danger, when Hebrews says that there are certain men who made it into the hall of faith because they love not their lives to the point to shrink back from death. If you won't die for your faith, you're joking yourself if you think you're going to live for it. If you are not ready, I believe the Lord is bringing this. I'm not saying we're all going to be martyrs, okay? Like, I'm not trying to freak everyone out here. But I think the Lord is bringing back a resilience that says, if it comes down to that, I'm ready. I'm not looking for an extension this side of the river. I'm not looking for 15 more years. I'm not looking for another little sweet moment because all my treasure is on the other side. I have stored up treasure where it cannot be taken, where moss, rough, and flame cannot destroy. All of my eggs are in eternity. All my eggs are in Jesus's basket. And when they get in that basket, you have all the room to impose this kingdom where it's not wanted. You want to see the return of Christ come? It's time that the church starts imposing Christus Victor, Christ the victorious. Woo, sorry, I got worked up. Elisha imposed himself. And he says, bring him. He says, there's a prophet in Israel. So all of a sudden Naaman comes comes knocking on Elisha's door. And Elisha, get this, does not even come downstairs to answer the door. Elisha sends his servant and he says, hey, I'm gonna give you a message, you give it to Naaman. Elisha doesn't even get up from his lazy boy. He's up in the upper room, here's the knock on the door. He says, I don't need to go down there. You go tell him this, to invest in what I'm doing right now. Such a G. All of a sudden, they open the door to Naaman. Naaman is standing there. And the message of the Lord through Elisha then passed on to the messenger is this, verse 10. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. This is the word of the Lord to this man named Naaman who has leprosy. God literally just said, I'll heal you. That's what he just said. I don't know about you, but if, I, if God said, I'm going to heal you, I'd be doing like a, a, a Holy Ghost dance, okay? I'd be doing a little jig, all right? I may not be able to dance. I ain't braiding jowers, all right? But I would try. I would try in this moment, okay? But that's not at all how Naaman responds. You know how Naaman responds? Not with joy. He responds like this, verse 11. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Notice this like fantasy Naaman has about how he's gonna get healed. He has this entire thing planned out. He already knows how God needs to do it. He just needs God to do it. He's like, God, I've already thought through it all. You need to do it this way. And God says, I'll do it but I'm not doing it the way you wanted me to. And so many times God says, hey, I'll heal you, but I just won't do it the way you'd like. 
And we like Naaman. Here, let's keep reading because you haven't found out what he did yet. He says this, are not the Abana and the Farpar and the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. God just said, I'm going to heal you, my man. And he turns and goes off in a rage. Because God wasn't doing it the way he wanted. God wasn't doing it the way he thought. And here is what the Lord told me. He told me this yesterday and it literally blessed my socks off. Literally, they're somewhere around the church. I haven't found them yet. But he blessed my socks all the way off. God said this. If I healed you the way you want me to, you would have gotten healed because of my obedience to you rather than your obedience to me. Thank you. I think that right there is worth the price of admission and this service is free. If God healed you the way you wanted him to, it would be you got healed because of the obedience of God and not because of the obedience of your own soul. And so God will strategically change the plan to make sure you're being obedient to him rather than the fact that you actually inadvertently got healed because of my obedience to your plan. Listen to me, you're not in charge. Like you don't sneeze and constellations are born. You sneeze and people are like, oh, people look at you perturbed, okay? At least they do me on airplanes, all right? You are not the one who holds everything together by the word of your power. You are not the one who hangs planets on nothing. We heard all of this on Friday. You are not that one. He is that one. And you and I are called to serve him. We are in allegiance to him. Our obedience is to him. And he will strategically change the plan to make sure we are following things in the right pecking order. I am obedient to him. He is in no obligation to have to be obedient to me. Now he loves you, but he will never obey you. He loves you deeply, but he will never, God has no allegiance to your plan. And it's time that you drop yours and form an allegiance to the plan of heaven. So often I thought keeps us from I'm healed. A commitment to what we thought will keep us from actually being able to declare I'm healed. And notice what, notice what Naaman says. He says, are not the rivers of the Abana and the Farpar, you know, the rivers of Damascus, they're better than all the waters of Israel. He literally is arguing because he doesn't like the cleanliness of the Jordan. He's saying the Jordan's kind of dirty. He's like, I think they imported this water from San Angelo. This looks like Lake Nasworthy. <laughs> the Keenan Clark version has that in the footnotes, by the way. Okay. KCV. I don't like this water. I, I'm too good for what you're asking me to do, God. That's what Naaman said. He's like, oh, you're too good, but you're also too leprous. How is this working? <laughs> How can you be too good and too leprous? You got to pick which one you are, my man. W- which one are you more attached to? Are you, are you ready to stay in how good you are? Or are you ready to deal with the leprosy? And God will strategically ask you to submit yourself to things that seem beneath you in order to try to get your allegiance back where it belongs. He will try to get your allegiance back where it belongs by asking you to, sum- to submit to something that seems beneath you or dirty or like it doesn't even have what God says it has. Your natural naked eye would say, there's nothing in that water but dirt. Who knows what else? But all of a sudden, faith says, if God told me to get it, I know there's healing. 
I know there's healing somewhere down in there. What I'm trying to say is this. The reason God does this is because he refuses to heal you and still let you hold on to your pride. And I'm really not trying to be like super hard this morning. I'm just trying to be honest. God refuses to heal you and still not get you over you. God does not want you getting over your leprosy, but still not being over yourself. Here's the cheat code in the kingdom of God. I'm gonna tell you right now, if you will hold on to this, you will go so far in the kingdom. The quickest way up is down. The quickest way up in the kingdom of God is to get down. I'm telling you, there is something powerful about this posture. There's something powerful about this position. There's something powerful about when we actually get on our knees and submit ourselves. I'm talking about a literal physical posture. I'm not just talking about the posture of your heart. I'm saying when you fully submit yourself, some of you this morning, you felt the Lord telling you, why don't you get on your knees right now? And he said, well, not everybody else is doing it. I feel weird. In all honesty, can I be 100% transparent? I was on my knees right here. And the Lord said, do what you normally do, lay on your face. I'm worthy of you laying on your face. And I was like, God, like, I don't want people to be like, oh, Kenan's like hamming it up right now. Like, wow. But the Lord told me to obey. And so I laid on my face right here because he's worthy of my obedience. Even when it seems like somebody could have some weird thought, somebody could try to interpret it kind of weird or whatever. God's worthy of our humility and healing always begins on the other side of humility. You cannot get healed and refuse to be humbled. You will never. God refuses to heal you while you're still walking in arrogance. He will strategically. That's why God asks you, come to the altar. Raise your hands. Why are you ashamed of me? Here's why you should never be ashamed of Jesus. He's not ashamed of you. Thank you, Lord. Like what in the world? The God of the universe is not ashamed to be associated with me, but sometimes I find myself ashamed to be associated with him. What in the world? That's demonic. It's of a demonic influence. It does not come from the father of lights. It does not come from the father above. It only is a seed of the enemy in your heart that is bound to pollute you if you will not uproot it. Amen. It takes humility to get healed. So Naaman's going off in a rage. And all of a sudden, Naaman's servants come up to him and say this. My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? They're literally like, hey, Naaman... If God had told you, like, here's how you're going to get healed. I need you to storm the castle, slay the dragon, save the princess, then you'll get healed. Naaman would have been like, yeah, let's go. But then he's like, no, all you have to do is just wash and be cleansed. And he's like, it's too easy. Like, I'm a valiant soldier. I don't do this, like, mamsy-pamsy stuff, okay? You got to give me, I want, like, give me, like, a Murph challenge, Okay, I'll do that. Let me get healed after I do, like I conquer something. And God's like, no, 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 because it's not about you. Because if you got healed on the other side of a valiant quest, you'd put your faith in the fact that you finished the valiant quest. But if God healed you after you simply obeyed something that seemed juvenile, childlike, the only person that can get glory from that is the Lord. Had had he asked you to do something great, you would have done it. And he says, how much more than... When he tells you, wash and be cleansed. I'm here to tell you this morning, God uses the mundane to do the miraculous. 
God uses the mundane moments of our life, the run of the mill, average, day in, day out stuff to do the miraculous. And the reason you're not seeing the miraculous is because you have not invited God into the mundane. You're folding laundry and the last thing you think about is spending time with the Lord. What if you invited God into that living room? God, I hold the whole basket here. I've got to sit here. I've got to fold this stuff. What if you invited God into that moment? What if you invited God into your drive to work? You live in San Angelo. It's maybe seven minutes. But that's seven minutes with him that you can turn that crap on the radio off and you can say, God, would you come and sit in the car with me? Would you come and be with me? I don't know what lie ahead of me, but God, fill me with new wine today. God, put an anointing on me to deal with the tasks at hand. God, show me how to love my wife better. God, show me how to love my children and honor them and lead them in the right and godly way. God, would you show me? All of a sudden, that seven minutes now counts for heaven. But you refuse to invite God into the mundane. So you've not seen the miraculous. I'm telling you, the things, the simple things God asks us to do are the things that are the locksmith to our cage. We've got to invite God in. So finally, if I can have the band come up, this is where I land. Finally, Naaman listens to the servants and he goes to the Jordan River. And before Naaman can get in the water, he has to do something. Listen to me. Without a doubt, Naaman has to do something. Hold on one second. If we can throw that up in just a moment. Before Naaman gets to the Jordan River and he actually gets in the water, Naaman has to take off his armor. And I'm here to tell you this morning, you will not get healed unless you first take off your armor. Many of us are saying, God, just like wave your hand over my armor and then when I take it off, everyone will see I'm healed. No, God says, let them see you in the full vulnerable state. Let them see you because then there won't be any speculation as to what God has done. There won't be any speculation as to who got the glory. God says, you've got to first take off your armor. Some of you this morning, you've got to take your armor off in order for the healing of the Lord to flow. There needs to be an act of faith saying, God, I'm coming with all of me, the good, bad, and the hideous. I am bringing it all. So Naaman has to sit there. He takes his breastplate off. He lays his shield down takes off his shoes and he begins to get in this Jordan and all of a sudden he begins to dip and he dips a second time and he dips a third time. In fact, let's just read it. Second Kings chapter five, verse 14. So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Listen to me, Naaman gets healed and we would be tempted to think that maybe it looked like this. We don't know for sure, but we would probably think, hey, Naaman dipped and he came up the first dip and there was a little less leprosy. He's like, wow, and he dips again, and he comes up after time number two, and there's even less leprosy. And with every successive dip, we can be tempted to think the leprosy got less and less and less. I don't think that's how it went. Because I know if it happened for me that way, I would quickly begin to put my faith in the dip rather than the one who called me to dip. 
I think Naaman went down dip number one, came up, and he was just as leprous as he was before he went in that water. And all of a sudden, dip number two, he comes up, and he's just as leprous, just as much leprosy is eating him alive as he was a moment ago. Dip number three comes out. He's just as leprous as he was a moment ago. Dip number four, still all the leprosy. And your problem is this. God called you to dip seven times, and you gave up after four. Some of you, because God wasn't doing it as fast as you wanted, you gave up halfway through. You only gave him halfway obedience. And now you're mad that he's not a, he's not a keeper of his promises. You only gave him halfway obedience. You didn't go the full distance. Some of you, you, God called you to a fast. And because halfway through the fast, you didn't have everything you wanted, you gave up on the fast. And you're like, I don't know about that fasting stuff. You didn't even complete it. I feel this, I felt like the Lord told me to tell somebody, don't quit in the dip. Don't quit in the dip. Keep dipping, keep dipping, keep dipping. Dip number one, dip number two, dip number three. And all of a sudden we see Naaman didn't give up. He goes full seven times. You know what the number of seven in scripture implies? It implies completion and perfection. I am completely obeying the Lord. I'm not going to halfway do this thing. There is this spirit that rests on the American church of halfway is good enough. I want to do the bare minimum for God and expect him to do the maximum for me. Erroneous. A lie. And it's a spirit of complacency that has lulled the American church to sleep. And I feel the Lord is saying, I'm waking you from your slumber. This halfway thing, it's not going to work anymore. I'm not calling you to halfway following me. I'm not calling you to one foot in the church and one foot in the world. Some of you, you've got just enough world that you can't enjoy the church, but just enough church, you can't enjoy the world and you're miserable. And God's saying, pick which side you're going to be on. Fully do this. Completely immerse yourself. So Naaman fully dips and he comes out the seventh dip. And the Bible said this, if it notice. It said his skin was restored as that of a young boy. Of a young boy. You know what this means? It means Naaman came to have his leprosy healed and God says, I'll do one better. I'll even take the battle scars away. I'll take it all away. I'll take the dirt, the muck, the grime, just the, the, the wear and tear of life. I'll take it all away. I, don't, I won't just take away the thing you came from me, to me for. I'll take it all. You know what this is? It's a picture of the gospel. My Bible says this, that Jesus tells Nicodemus in John chapter 3, you must be born again. We have a rebirth. We're not the same old thing. We're not a cleaned up old creation. According to 2 Corinthians 5, we're a brand new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. God always does more than you ask him to. He does exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all that we could ask, think, or imagine. That's the God you serve, but you've got to fully dip. You've got to say, God, I know it may look silly. People may judge me, but I'm going all the way in. I choose this day to give you my leprosy. And God says, I'll do more than cleanse leprosy. I'll cleanse it all. Everything. That mental health, I feel this so strong. Some of you, God's going to restore your mental health today. You came into church thing and you were just coming to a nice little, nice little polite church service. God say, I'm, I came and I'm going to heal your mental health. 
God's saying this, I'm going to heal your marriage. Some of you were just barely made it to church this morning. I feel this so strong. There's a couple under the sound of my voice. You argued on the way over here. You didn't even come into this building with a spirit that wanted to get, receive something from the Lord. The Lord still has something for you to receive. I'm restoring you. One of the things that was, it was almost like a word of knowledge. One of the things that has been uttered is God is healing people of infertility this morning. God's healing people of infertility. Beth and I, my parents also have a huge heart for people dealing with infertility. Beth and I walked through back to back two miscarriages before we had August. My heart goes to people who struggle with any level of infertility. God's healing you this morning, but it's gonna take you being willing to dip. You've gotta be willing to get out of the safe confines of your armor and say, God, I'm ready for my Jordan River moment. And right now, if we could dim the lights with every head bowed, every eye closed, just for a moment of privacy and concentration. If you would say, Kenan, you're preaching to me. In some shape, form, or fashion of my life, I have, I've got leprosy. I have need a touch from God. I need that miraculous healing power of the Lord. I need what you're talking about today, Kenan. I don't know if it's a physical healing you need, a mental healing you need, an emotional healing you need. God's healing trauma this morning. I feel it so strong. Healing the scars of sexual and traumatic trauma, things that have happened to you in the past. God says, I'm washing it. I'm speaking a better word over you this morning. If you'd say, Kenan, I need a healing touch from God. I need God to touch my leprosy. And I'm willing to go out on a limb. I'm willing to dip. Would you just raise your hand right now? I want to know who, who this is. I want to know who this is. I feel it so strong in here. I feel this so strong. Come on, I feel like there's a few more. I feel like there's a few more. God's saying now, now's your moment. Now's your moment. I've made it easy. I've made it easy. You're in a safe space. Now's your moment. Right now, if your hand is in the air, I want you to get out of your seat and come to this altar. This altar represents your Jordan River right now. Come now, come now. If your hand was in the air, please come forward. I feel like there are families coming forward, families. Mom, dad, bring your kids, bring your kids. Come forward to this altar right now. Some of you may even need to come on behalf of someone else. On behalf of someone else in faith. Come on, let's press in, press in, press in. Family, stick together. We're about to sing a song as we begin to minister to people. We wrote this song last week. Our team wrote this song, it's called On Page. And it's all about, it was written from the heart of a father and husband who wants nothing more than for his family to stay on page with the Lord. To say, God, keep me in line with you. Keep my wife, keep my son in line with you. Thank you for listening to this message from Celebration Church. You can keep up with all that God is doing here at Celebration by following us on Facebook and Instagram.